everybody doing this morning? Enjoying the lovely weather outside? <laughs> I'll take some 80 degrees over 100 degrees, right? So at least that's what they say, but we'll see. It remains to be seen. Oh, yeah, I don't believe it. I'll believe it when I see it. Those weathermen don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> or weather apps, as it were. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We lift you up and we praise you in this place. We open ourselves right now to receive from you, Father, that your whole, we know your Holy Spirit's here, that the anointing is here to break the yoke, Father. And we look to you for answers. We look to you for wisdom, for guidance, because you are, your word is the light to our path and the lamp to our feet, Father God, that it is what we walk by and what we move by and what we determine our next step by, Father. So we look to you this morning. We know you have wisdom and direction to give, so we look to receive and we open ourselves that we will follow you in whatever way you would lead us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Amen, amen. Find your place in uh, James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to read 5 to 8. But um, when I've been up here, we've been talking about the will of God uh, for, for quite some time now, actually, different parts and, and directions of it. And I, and I want to, we read James 1, 5 through 8 last time I was up here, but I kind of want to go in a different direction this morning. Um, and kind of springboard off of something I heard Brother Terry say while he was here that just lit up on the inside of me. Because um, it's always good when you listen to people speak and they say something and you go, that's been there the whole time and I've never seen it like that before. It just, just lights up on the inside of you. Um, so, so I've done some studying and some meditating on it and I want to share it with y'all. So um, we'll read and then we'll, uh, we'll move forward. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Verse, yeah. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Can you put six through eight up there all in one shot? We read this last time, but I want to go in the direction of, of, of what it's really talking about there when it talks about doubt and being double-minded. Because it's important because it clearly says that if you're that person, you're not going to receive anything. And you shouldn't expect to receive anything, which that gives a big red light off to me that like, hey, I need to make sure that I'm not ever in this condition because that, that um, apparently disqualifies me from getting what I'm looking for. Because if I'm believing God for something, it clearly says that if, if this is the state you're in, you will not, will not receive. For that man ought not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. That tells me I need to make sure that's not me. <laughs> because if I'm sitting there, nothing's going to happen. And we all don't, we've all been there before. We don't want to go back there where you're believing God and nothing's happening. We don't like that place. I don't think anybody likes that place. So if we have the power, which it tells us right here that we do to avoid that situation, at least in regards to this, we need to take steps to number one, understand it. And number two, examine ourselves to make sure we're not there in whatever situation we're talking about. Because he's clear here that, I mean, this is connected to verse 5 where it says, ask God for wisdom. Well, clearly, if you're asking God for wisdom, you don't know what to do, and you're looking for the answer on what to do. But if you have doubt, that answer is not coming, so you're lost. You're, you're adrift, so to speak. You, you're not going anywhere because you don't know where to go. So it's important. We, I mean, we've talked about it for a long time now that, being sure of what you're supposed to be doing is critical to our walk as a Christian. Because if you've got to have direction to be going somewhere. There's those sayings that people talk about, oh, where are you headed? I'm not going anywhere. Well, then I guess you got there. Well, yeah, you did because you, you don't have any direction. You're just kind of adrift, floating about. Well, we don't want to be that. Because the, the Word of God talks about right here that you're driven and tossed. By the winds and, the, and the, the will of the sea, which we know is the, the current that the world pushes with. Because there's a current to the world. And if we don't push against it, it drives us wherever it wants to. We've lived like that before. 
And I don't know about you, I didn't much care for that. I like being in control. You know, I like having some say in how my life is going to go. Because we all see people, both friends and, you know, acquaintances and whatnot that live, that aren't saved, that live in the world, or maybe even are backslid from, from God, and we look at their lives and, and we wonder, it boggles, at least it boggles my mind to think, how can you live a life where you're basically at the whims of everything that comes against you? You have no control, you have no power over any circumstance, you don't. You're, you're, you're at the mercy of whatever comes against you day in and day out. I can't live like that. I've lived like this for so long where I'm at the rudder. I have the wheel. I'm the captain. And the Holy Spirit, we talked about, right behind me. He's my navigator. But I'm in control. I don't want to live any other way than that. And this tells us here that you must ask in faith without any doubting. Or you will be driven and tossed. You will be. And you ought not expect it to be any different because you have doubt. And you're double-minded. So we need to make sure that's not us. Hmm. So what is it that it's talking about when it talks about doubt here? In, in, in particular, I want to look at, because doubt can happen in a lot of different ways, but doubt in specific to the will of God and direction in this particular, because that's what I've been teaching about, so that's kind of the, the road I want to go down. That having that doubt and being double-minded, you've got a plan, you've got direction from God. He's given you the wisdom. You've, you've asked for it. You've got the direction. And then you have doubt. So what is the doubt? The doubt is that that plan is going to work. That the direction you've received is, is going to work. Like that's, we've all been there where God gives us direction and says, hey, I want you to do this. And your mind automatically goes, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> I mean, for whatever reason, whatever it is, or the fear side of it of what if it doesn't work? What happens to me if that falls through? And what, what does our mind immediately come up with? Plan B. Plan B. Well, it's, it's one thing to go about that in our daily lives where if, you know, you're doing a construction project and you're like, well, if this doesn't work out, I can always do it this way. That's, that's one thing. When we're dealing with God, there should be no plan B. Because by definition, if you have a plan B with God, you're in doubt. That is the definition of having a plan B when it comes to God's stuff. Because plan B is, what is it? The assumption of the failure of plan A. Isn't it? Right? All of us who have come up with plan B, it's, well, if plan A fails... Well, if you think plan A is going to come, come to fail, that's the only reason to develop a plan B. Because if you've got faith that this is going to work, then why would you bother to think up another way to do it if it doesn't? <laughs> I mean, we've all done it for so long, and the world trains us with all the cliches. Hope for the best. Prepare for the worst. Well, what is that? That's doubt and fear is what it is. And again, it's one thing, you know, if you're a prepper and you like MREs and food rations and what if the food system fails, hey, knock yourself out, build a bunker. I don't care. That's, that's up to you. But when it comes to the direction of God where he says, hey, this is what I want you to do and this is how I want you to, because he's very specific with his plan. This is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. And you go, okay, well, just in case, just in case. We could, I could also do it like this. No, no, that's not what God said. And that's exactly what he's talking about right here. Because you're being driven and tossed by what? The way the world thinks. Because that's how the world thinks. Because they are tuned to failure. They assume failure. <laughs> they assume it. That's why they have plan B, C, D, E, F, G. I mean, because they assume the first few are not going to go well. That's just... Murphy's law and all that stuff, you know, they, they talk about it like it's like it's a it's like it's a law. It's Murphy's law. Anything that can happen will happen. Anything bad. Notice they never talk about that in the good sense. It's never a good thing when you mention Murphy's law. It's always bad. It's always when things go bad. 
Well, and I know my mind has always been like that, that it grabs onto that in an instant. It comes up with a, oh, yeah, well, I could do it that way, but just in case, what if we do it this way? This way might work too. Well, why are you thinking? Why am I thinking about that? Because I'm assuming the first plan might not work. Well, that's not an assumption we can have about God because it shows up the fact that we don't believe in what he's, he's saying, what he's told us, what he's promised us. And that is, by definition, doubt. That you, he tells you, hey, I want you to do this. You know, let, just for instance, he wants you to believe a certain way for healing. You know, maybe he doesn't want you to go to a doctor for this thing. You've got the flu. He doesn't want you to go get Tamiflu or whatever. And he wants you to believe him to be healed of the flu. Well, well if things get really bad, I can just go get, you know. <laughs> I can go get some medicine, I can go see the doctor, I can go do this, go do that. We all have that right in the back of our mind. But if he's told you to do it this way, this is the way we need to do it. Period. But we all, we all have that. It happens to every single one of us. And the, the first thing is, the doubt. It's doubtful. It, there's no faith there. There's no faith in God's plan. And so if there's no faith, nothing's going to happen, just like James said, and we're not going to please God in that. God's not pleased with plan B. His plan is a good plan. His plan will work if we do what he tells us to do. And that's his assumption, right? We're told, walk by faith. Well, what does that mean? That means believe what he says and do what he says and believe that it's going to work. That's all kind of wrapped up together in the one statement, walk by faith. Walk by faith. Because he's going he's gonna to tell you some stuff that to your mind, it just sounds bonkers. That's bonkers. It's crazy. Why would, why would you even do it like that? Well, because God wants you to do it like that. Buy a car without pulling a loan? That's bonkers. That's crazy. Why? Why? Why is it crazy? And that's, a, that's an easy thing, understand. That's a zero, like Pastor Bob talks about, that's a zero pressure situation. You're oh, assuming you have a car that's working. Um, you know, if you're getting a new car and he tells you buy that car without using credit, buy it without, just buy it cash. That's an easy thing to believe for because there's no pressure in that. But then your mind goes, yeah, but, you know, zero interest, 12 months, that's almost like not pulling a loan. No, it's not almost like not pulling a loan. It is pulling a loan. But it, our mind always comes up with stuff like that. Because that's how we were trained for many, many years and even into being saved. Because really, unless you think about it like this, with this perspective, most people are like, oh, it's fine to come up with a plan B. No, it's really not. It's really not. You've got to be like Captain Ahab in, in Moby Dick where he lashes himself, to the, lashes himself to the mast. The ship goes down, he's going down with it. Well, that's the way we have to look at it when it comes to God. Because it's a faith statement knowing that God's not going to fail. What he says is going to work and he's not, it will never happen where you depend on God and turn around and he's not there. It's not ever going to happen. But your mind prepares as if it will because we've been failed by people well god's not a people he's god he's not your friend he's not your you know family member that lied to you and didn't do it he's not any of those things he has told us that he will be with us always he will never leave us or forsake us period not a if you know i might be on vacation sometime and then you'll be on your own no never leave or forsake us which means when he tells us to do something, he's backing that up. He's backing that up. <clears throat> you know, and Brother Terry talked about this, and this is, this is what lit up on the inside of me when he was talking about the children of Israel when they, got to, <clears throat> when they got to the Jordan the first time, and they sent the spies out, and what Moses said, go see if the land is good. Oh, man, that lit up on the inside of me. I read it. How many times I read it? I don't know. Never connected it that that was purely done in doubt of God. They basically called God a liar. Because he'd been telling them for hundreds of years, I have this land. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's, it'll provide for all your needs. It's the best land. I have it for you. And then he says, go see if the land is good. Excuse me? God's been telling you it's good for hundreds of years. 
How dare you? How dare you send out spies to go confirm what God has told you? Excuse me. But that's, we need to shift our perspective that when God tells us to do something and we go, yeah, but just in case, that's exactly what we are doing. God, your plan isn't good enough. I need to come up with my own. Excuse me. And I've done this lots and lots and lots of times. But it's that, cha- it's that shift in, wow, this is really a lot, this is a lot more dire than I had ever given it thought about. Because that, wor- that, that one little phrase, go see if the land is good. Ooh, ooh, when you look at it like that, it's like, oh man, I can't believe they did that. But then I do it all the time. We do it all the time. But that's what we need to be careful of. This is why things like this are put in the Bible so that we can go and examine ourselves. I'm asking of God wisdom and direction, and he then provides it, and then I assume it's not going to work. Why would I do that? Because our mind isn't set like it's supposed to. We're not believing like we're supposed to. Our faith isn't as solid as we thought it was. All of these are not condemnations. They're points of shining light saying, hey, this this is a crack in the foundation. I need to go fix that. I need to go fix that. Because if I want my life to work like I want it to and be following God like I want to, and I know he wants me to, then I've got to fix this. Because this can't stay that way and me have the success that I want to have with God. It's It's not going to work. I can't continually think his plans are going to fail and then walk well in those plans. (laughs) That's not, it doesn't make sense to your mind. We don't specifically go into projects. Well, I'm going to do this, but I know I'm going to fail horribly. Why would you go into something thinking that? You wouldn't. You go in thinking you're going to win. That's why I tell Judah all the time. Because he talks about all these, these hard teams that they have to play in basketball. This is a hard team. This is a hard team. We might lose. No. Go in there knowing that you're going to leave everything on the court. You do everything you can to make sure you win. And I hate it when they come and talk about, oh, you're just here to have fun. No, we're here to win. We're not here. Yeah, have fun, but win. That's how I teach my son. Maybe that's bad. Maybe I'm a bad parent. But I don't think so because they were the best team in the league this last week. So, But, uh, yeah, so we need to view that in the same way. That we look at that plan and we go, I'm, this, this is going to work. This is the only plan I need. It's God's plan. And if I do it the way he's told me to, it'll work exactly like he said it would. Period. End of discussion. There is no other discussion. Because the, your mind and the enemy and all your friends, even your believer friends, Because I don't know if you've noticed, but there's lots of unbelieving believers out there where they'll talk to you about how what you're doing is just crazy. That's crazy talk. You're believing for healing and you're not going to see a doctor. That's crazy talk. And I'm not saying don't go see a doctor. I'm saying follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Do what God tells you to do. You'll be surprised. You might not be, but you might be surprised at how often he will tell you, go see a doctor. Because God, unlike us, has no illusions of grandeur. He doesn't think you're a faith. He doesn't think you're a faith giant. He knows exactly where you're at, and he knows exactly how far your faith can take you. So he's not going to tell you something that's going to get you killed or hurt or maimed. He's not going to do that. So if he knows, they can go up to here, and then they need to go see a doctor. That's what he's going to tell you to do. But there's ditches. Well, I I believe God, and I don't ever go to the doctor. You're going to die. I'm sorry, at some point, your faith is going to hit an object where your faith is just flat out ain't there. And it's going to hit you, and if you don't follow directions, you're going to die. God can get you out of it. God can get you out of anything, and through anything, or around, or whatever he needs to do, he can get you through it. But if you don't listen, that's not true. Because every knee shall bow. It doesn't say that it, you know, it's going to be a miraculous healing every time. Maybe, uh, maybe you got to go and get it cut out of you, and then God will restore your body. I'm just saying. I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm saying we need to be open. Be very careful when you use statements like "I will never." Very, very careful. 
unless you're talking about sin. That's fine. You can say, I will never sin. Just, just don't be too hard on yourself when you do, okay? <laughs> but my, my point is, is we need to leave all doors open because we don't know what door God wants to use in any given situation. Well, I will never take money from my family. Careful. God might need to use your family sometime to get you something. You don't know what he's going to do. Well, you don't know my family. No, you're right. I don't know your family. But I know, I know God. And God uses channels you wouldn't think he'd use. But it, that's part of walking with God, is leaving every door open and saying, God, show me. Where am I going? What am I doing? And then when he tells you, we don't make another plan. We say, okay, let's go. Let's do this. Because despite how crazy it looks to your flesh and your mind, it's going to work if you follow and obey. Hmm. We just, we, we have to shift the way we look at it because we do this to God all the time and we wouldn't stand for people doing this to us in our life. If somebody constantly called you a liar and doubted your word, you wouldn't hang out with them very long, I don't think. Thankfully, God has a lot more patience and mercy than we do. But we should make, not make a habit of, of doubting his word as soon as he tells us. Well, you can do this. Well, I don't know. Excuse me. Just be careful. Be aware of that. Control that in our own minds where, you, where you're going. You know, we've all done it where we, we hear something and we think about it and we go, yeah, that'll be good. And 10 minutes later, we're developing an intricate plan on how, what happens if it doesn't work. Well, we need, to, we need to stop that. We need to stop that. We need to grab a hold of our mind and go back to this is what God said, and it's going to work. Because he confirms his word. He doesn't back out on it or say, oh, I know I said that, but sorry. No, that's not God. God's not a person. We all know people that do that, but God's not one of those people. Go to Matthew 19, verse 18. We're going to read 18 to 22. So when God directs us, we need to pay attention and make sure that we are abiding by the direction that he has given us, and only that direction. Not drifting and saying, hey, I know this is what you said, God, but I think I can do better. We've all done that before. Or we get piece of a plan, and we, go, we do what he told us, and then we fill in the rest. No. No. Wait. And that doesn't mean sit and wait. That means, like Pastor Yuhelm talked about, you bind together. You bind together. That's what wait actually means. It's, it, you just change it from wait as in sit in a chair and wait. The way that I always thought about it is, you change it to, instead of sitting in chair and waiting, like wait like a waiter waits on a table. You go to him and say, God, I'm here. Tell me what to do. God, I'm here. Tell me what to do. What do you need, God? What do you need me to do? Because you're constantly binding closer and closer and closer together like a good waiter does at a restaurant. They're never too far away. They're always right there. Whatever said, if you lift your hand up, yes, what can I do for you? That's what we need to do with God, binding closer and closer and closer together with him not sitting on your laurels while well, I'm waiting on God's timing. You're going to be waiting a long time. Because most of the time when people say that I'm waiting on God, he's waiting on them. He's waiting on them to do something he's already told them to do, but they, they, they shirk the duty and they go, oh, well, God's in control. No, honey, I hate to tell you, most of the time, God is not in control. You are in control because he gave you control. And I, I say it all the time. Oh, well, God's sovereign. I agree. Probably not to the extent that you think I do, but I agree. You can't do anything. You, you in your littleness cannot do anything to stop God's overall plan. You can absolutely bring it to a screeching halt when it comes to your life. Because God's got an overall plan, and you can't do anything about that. You could do your dangest to mess that up, and it will not do anything to it. Not even move it even an inch. His timetable is set, and what's going to happen will happen, period. Now, 
your part in that plan is completely up to you. He wants you to be in there somewhere. He's got something for you to do. But if you choose not to do it, he'll find somebody else. And you'll miss out. That's where people, they miss, they completely, they just miss it. Well, it's God's in control. No, he gave that control to you. The, all of the statements that Jesus made and all the apostles made are unbelievably clear. I just don't understand how people mess it up. I, I, well, I know exactly how because they don't want to take responsibility. That's where it all stems from. Because if I'm in control, then guess whose fault it is when stuff starts going, when it hits the skids? This guy right here. But it's real easy when, it's, when I'm not in control. I can just say, well, I guess, I guess that wasn't supposed to happen. What kind of, that's that life, driven and tossed. You're not in control if you live like, like that. Well, I guess it was God's will. You should know what his will is. There shouldn't be any, if, you, if that statement ever comes out of your mouth, uh, the first thing you need to do is bury your nose in your Bible. Well, I guess that was God's will. Honey, you should know what God's will is in every situation. And if you walk into one where you don't know, go find out. That's what, that's what our job is. That we are supposed to know. We are supposed to be an effective worker of this word. And you can't be an effective worker if you don't even know what's in here. Oh, I'm going to work with my toolbox. I have no idea what tools are in my toolbox, but I'm going to work. I suppose I'll open it up and figure out if I can actually do anything when I get there. What? What? No. You wouldn't be at that job very long, I guarantee you. Not if you got a good boss. He'd fire your butt, that's for sure. I would. <laughs> if I were your boss and people thought like that. All right, Matthew 19, verse 18. We're going to read 18 to 22. And this is Jesus talking to the rich young ruler. Just as a backup, I kind of picked it up in the middle. And he, and he the, young ruler, the rich young ruler, said to Jesus, which ones? And he was asking him, which which. Um, which things should I follow, which commandments. And he said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Verse 19. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Keep going to 22. And then the young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? So he's doing good. He's keeping the commandments, he's doing a good job. And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, why did God do that? Why did God pinpoint that one thing? Because that's, that's not, I mean, we don't need to take that as a principle that we all need to do that because he's talking to this one specific man. But he said, if you, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Some people take that as a, you know, that's where the vow of poverty comes from and all that stuff. That's not why God did that. God did that because that was his plan B. The wealth was his plan B. The Bible even talks about that wealth is a plan B. In Proverbs in Proverbs, it says um, multiple places it talks about it, but in, you can write down Proverbs 10, 15. It says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. And if you know anybody who's got money, you know that's exactly true. They treat that thing like a shield. Well, if something goes bad, I've got money. My house gets blown away, I got money. My car, I smash up my car, I got money. I get sick, I got money. I get into a lawsuit, I got money. It's a shield. It's plan, it's plan B. No matter what happens, I've got money. Yeah. Well, Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that. You'll never be able to follow me completely when you've then that thing has a hold of you. Because you'll always look to it. Always. Your mind will bend. Yeah. Bend to the money, to the money, to the money. And he's saying, just get rid of it. You don't need it. Come follow me. Because really, he didn't. None of the disciples needed any money when they followed Jesus. Never, never talked about them having to go hit up the bank on the way to Damascus or anything like that. I got to go pull a few bucks out of the ATM. No, none of that. Jesus, Jesus took care of them. And Jesus would have taken care of this guy. But he didn't see it that way. 
He didn't, he didn't, he didn't see it that way. And he, he went away full of sorrow because he had much money. Well, why would you go away full of sorrow if you had much money? Because he wasn't willing to give it up. Because his mind immediately said, well, if I give my money away, what's going to happen if something goes bad? And we, do, we, we all have something like that. Sometimes it's just this, these arms. Well, if something goes bad, I'll just, I'll just muscle through it. I'll just power through. I've done it all my life. My shoulders are big. My back's strong. I'll just muscle through. Well, sometimes you can't muscle through. That's what God is trying to get us to realize. At some point, every backup will fail, will not be sufficient. And that's the kind of life God's asking us to live. Because that's really where faith keeps you, is right on the edge. Right on the edge of where you can't do it. You can't do it. You need God. That's where he wants you. Because that's what faith is all about. Faith, you keep, faith keeps you right on what they call the bleeding edge. There's the cutting edge, you know, cutting edge of technology. But then there's the bleeding edge of technology, where you're right there at the precipice, almost falling off. Well, that's where God wants you. Because that's where you have to follow him. That's where you're literally stepping by faith. Because without him, you will fail. And people are like, well, I don't want to live like that. Well... It's your decision. God's not going to make you live there. But if you want to live the plan that he has for you and the best life that God has for you, that's where he wants you. Not because he wants you in danger all the time, but he wants you completely obedient and following him in every step. Why? Because then he can move you where he wants you and he knows that you'll do it. That's what God's looking for at the end of the day. He's looking for someone when he says, Sidna, I want you to do that. He's not going to have to think, she might not. She might not. And God will find somebody else. He's got to because it's not just about you. Most of the time when he tells you to do something, there's somebody on the other side of that that needs that thing done, whatever it may be, whether it's giving money or witnessing to somebody or going to a hospital, pray. that needs to be done. So he's not just going to, oh, well, if they don't do it, it's not going to get done. Oh, no, no, it'll get done because he'll tap somebody else and then he'll tap somebody else and then he'll come to the back of the line where he's got the person. The person that backstops it is the person he knows. They'll do whatever I tell them to do. No questions asked. That's the person we want to be. That's the person we want to be. I mean, I want to be that person. And you, we don't get there by having backup plans. Because then what plan, what plan is going to happen? Like, like the angel said to, uh, to Abraham, now I know. Now I know. Well, God knew all the time. No, he did not. He didn't know. Why do you think he stopped? Why do you think he had Abraham do that and go that far? Because he needed to know. Guys, God, God knows what's in your heart. He knows what's in your mind. He does not know what you're going to do. People, oh, because guess what? If he knew what you were going to do, that means you don't have any free will. You have no agency. It's basically all predetermined. No, God's, God's way bigger than that. He knows, and if you ever think about it, I always like, you know, tournament brackets and all those. I just love all the mathematics and all that stuff and those crazy like decision matrices and p computer programming and all that stuff, where if this happens, then it splits. And then these three things can happen. And then if the middle one happens, then it splits again, and these four things can happen. That's how God operates. You go into this situation, and he goes, they can do one of three things. I don't know what they're going to do, but depending on what they do, I know what's going to happen next. That makes God way bigger and way cooler in my book than, than having everything laid out b beforehand to me. Because he knows, he knows what's going to happen every second of every day at every moment of decision. If you have cornflakes this morning, this is how the day is going to go. But if you have eggs and bacon, this is how the day is going to go. And we think, well, that's dumb. That's God. That's God. And I'm not saying that's a significant 
decision, obviously, but it's a decision. And things change based on that. You don't have your coffee, you may have to go get another coffee or go get one on the way. And things change. You ever had God tell you to skip something, not do something? Just, just skip that. Whatever, you have a habit of doing something, don't do that this morning. Do something else. Why? Don't know. Maybe I'll ask him when we get there. I'm curious. You know, I'm, it's just the way my mind works. I'm curious about that stuff because I'm, I'm, I, like, I like writing fiction. And you always get involved with those kind of decision matrices and stuff. Well, if, if this happens, what are the options? Well, I'd like to know what happens sometimes. I'd like to see the sheet of my angels, the activity sheet of them. Yep, saved my life again. Yep, pulled me out of that. Yep, pulled me. Because you think back and you go, oh, man, that was, that was angels all the way right there. You do something dumb and you go, thank you, God, for grace. Oh, thank you for grace. But that's, that's what you get by walking in that plan, is the surety that things are going to work out like they're supposed to. It's such a blessing to not have to have a plan B. Plan B is stressful, because then you're always looking around for the failure. Where's it going to come from? How's it going to happen? Well, How is this going to blow up in my face? Well, when you know it's not, it gives, a, it gives a sense of security. And that's what God's trying to provide us, is that peace of no, not having to worry about it. I mean, lots of people still do, but that's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're not supposed to worry about God's plan. That's what the Word of God is trying to convey to us. When you work this way, doubt doesn't have to be an issue because it's going to work. The plan laid out will happen just as it's supposed to. What God has said will happen, period. may not happen when I want it to or how I want it to. None of that matters. It'll happen. That's where we need to make sure we don't get bent out of shape because when, when you start getting resentful is when you start coming up with your own plans. When, you, when, you, when something happens, you're like, well, that's not how I wanted it to happen. Well, who cares? Did it happen or did it happen? Well, I don't think it should have happened like that. Well, whoop-de-doo. What's the big deal? It happened, didn't it? But people get bent out of shape about stuff like that. Well, I, I, I didn't want God to use that person. Well, too bad. <laughs> I'd rather not get disciplined sometimes too, but it still has to happen. Because that's, that's the way things are supposed to go. As we're supposed to believe God. We're supposed to follow his plan without any doubt. And we have to constantly examine ourselves and make sure that we aren't preparing the way for a backup plan. That in the back of your mind, you're not thinking, well, you know, if God doesn't, and the big one is, the big ones, the big two are money and health. Those are the big two. Well, if the money doesn't come, I can always go to the bank and pull out a loan, right, Sidna? They'll give me a signature loan for a few thousand dollars. I'll be all right. No, 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 no. That's how we've lived our lives in the past. That's not how we're supposed to live our life now. We're supposed to believe God and know it's going to happen. It talks about believe you have received. What does that mean? What does that mean? That means you have it. That means you have it. Well, if you have it, you can't have it and not have it in the same thing. So if you're thinking, well, if it doesn't, you, don't, you haven't believed you've received. And now we're back to you ought not think you receive any, you're going to receive anything from God. And there, there are millions of believers right there where they, they go to God and they say, God, I need this. I need that. I, I pray, I, you know, and they're doing what they're supposed to do. They believe they've received. They walk out and then they get bombarded by the enemy or by their flesh or by their mind. And immediately it's, yeah, but just in case. Well, that's it. You just, that's it. It's gone. It's done. That's doubt. And you ought not believe you're going to receive anything. That's what the Bible says. It's not me. That's what the Bible says. And it's not God's fault. That's us. We need to fix that. Right? Yes. And, and it's, we got to be hard on ourselves. You know, this is like training for a, for a marathon or some kind of sport. If you want to succeed, you got to put in the effort. 
I'm about to I'm about to have a real serious discussion with my son about how far he wants to take the basketball thing. He loves basketball. But at a certain point, and he's right at the age where it moves from, okay, this has to move from just being fun, where you now have to start putting in work. Because up to this point, it's been you're in that age bracket where kids are still kind of all gangly and weird, and they, they don't really know how to control themselves good yet. So you're better than a lot of them. That will not stay that way forever. You will have to put in the work to maintain a good level of skill. You can't just go practice an hour a week. You've got to practice every day of every week and put in the time. And I think I know what his answer is going to be, but I don't really know. This is one of those things like where God brings us to the point and says, choose. What am I going to do? Because that's really what every, every, every time he gives us direction, that's exactly what he's doing. He says, this is what I want you to do. He's saying, choose. Because you don't have to do that. He's not forcing you to. He's not driving you forward. He's leaving it in your, it's in your hands now. Choose. And he's going he's gonna to sit and wait until you choose. What are you going to do? Because what you do determines what his next step is. Most people think, well, he, he moves forward. Well, yeah, with his overall stuff, but in concern, where it concerns you, he doesn't move until you choose. He'll stay right there. He'll wait for you. If you wait too long, that's a choice in and of itself. Procrastination is a real thing. There's, there's up to a point where you need to be sure. I, I understand that. You've got to be sure that you're understanding what God's telling you to do. But once you do, and you know when you do, once you delay beyond that, you're approaching a decision of non, non-action. And God's got a plan for that. If you choose an action, he can, he, he's got a plan, okay? Here's where we're at. I need to get you back to where you were. I need to get you back on the road that you were on if, if we're going to continue and this is what we need to do. And now you've got another choice. And believers live their lives. They don't understand that this is how their life is going, but this is how they live their lives. And many believers are just in that constant state of inaction because they think, well, it's, it's, it's God's choice. No, no, honey, it's your choice. And God really wants you to make those decisions faster and move with him because he's, he's got things he wants you to do. His things are still getting done. Just not by you. And you understand that he's looking out for you in this instance because every time we move down the road of not doing what he says, we're cutting ourselves off from things that he wants us to have both here and the hereafter. Because it's not, heaven's not a socialist state. Not everybody's going to be the same. The Bible talks about the glory of some differing as like the stars. Some stars are brighter, some stars are dimmer. Some stars are bigger, some stars are smaller. That's not God's choice. God's not the one up there picking the winners and losers. That's us. I pick if I'm a winner or a loser. I do. Not anybody else. God wants me to be a winner, and he's laid out a path for me to be a really big winner. But only if I walk it. Only if I walk it. The enemy will always make ample opportunity for us to make another plan. He'll always bring thoughts to us. He'll always attack us at the most inopportune times. That's how it goes. Go to uh, 1 Kings 19. We're going to read a few verses. We're going to jump around a little bit here and do it quickly. Because I want to give another example. Because he's always, the enemy's always going to bombard us with what ifs. And try to get us to latch on to something other than the plan that God's laid out for us. Well, what if this happens? Well, what if that happens? Well, what if this happens? Until we reach out and we grab one of those what ifs. That's what the enemy's looking for. He doesn't want you on God's road. He doesn't want you with God's plan. Because that plan means trouble for him. So he's going to give you many alternate options. That's when you know when people start talking about how things are so complex. 
That's not God. God's not so complex. He's real, real simple. He's really simple. It's his choice or not his choice. That's it. When you start, oh, but it's so much more complex. No, it's not. And if it is, you're listening to the wrong person. Because it's really not that complex. Because the complexity comes from in here. Because the, the God, God, living with God is the most simple thing in the world. I did not say easy. I said simple. There's a big difference between simple and easy. <clears throat> okay, 1 Kings. 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 4. I might just have to, I might just have to give you the paraphrase. This is, this is, Ahab, this is uh, Elijah with King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And um, this was after he did the whole thing where God showed up the false prophets and he killed all the false prophets. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and even more if I don't make your life as one of the lives of one of them by tomorrow at about this time. So she's saying, I'm coming for you, buddy. I'm going to kill you. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die. And said, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. So we've all been here. I mean, not necessarily asking God to kill us, but we've all been in a pity party before. Okay, he's having himself a little pity party. And the thing is, is up to this point, he's been following God's plan. God has directed him to do everything that he has done up to this point. And then the enemy came and, and said, boo, and he got spooked. I mean, that's essentially what happened. He got spooked and ran off. Well, why did he do that? Because, I don't know, I'm not Elijah, but what I can surmise from what we're told in the Bible is he didn't go and acquire the Lord. Because if he had gone and spent just a modicum of time in this moment with God, he would have known, I don't need to be afraid of this lady at all. I mean, and logic would dictate, you just killed 450 false prophets. You probably don't need to be afraid of one lady, but I mean, that's, that's just... That's, I'm not saying the lady part. I'm just saying you just killed 450 not, probably not small people. And what's the problem with one person? I mean, what, what's the deal here? <clears throat> and he had the whole, the, at this point in time, he had the whole country of Israel behind him. Because they just all bowed down and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Because God showed up and showed their false gods to be piddlywinks, nothing. <clears throat> go to verse 9. Oh, man, I'm running out of time. Verses 9 and 10. So he goes from here and continues going out. And then he came to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And you don't ever want to hear that from God in any circumstance. What are you doing here? Because obviously God knew, God knows what he's doing there and why he's there and what's happening. He's not clueless. He's trying to get Elijah to realize, what are you doing? He's trying to pull his mind and get a grip on yourself. Why are you doing this? And then Elijah said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I alone am left. Oh, woe is me. And they seek my life to take it away. He's having it. He's still. God, God tried. What are you doing here? He tried to pull that back, but here it's still there. It's still there. I'm, a, I'm it, man. I'm the, last, I'm the last of the Mohicans, God. What, what am I doing? What's going on? This is bad. And, he, and it didn't work. And God had to go. We're not, we don't have time to read it. But he, then he brought Elijah outside and came before him in all the different forms. And he said again, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> and he finally, finally, it's not super clear when he got it, but he got it. Because God started directing me and said, 
give up this self-pity party here you're in, and you need to go over here and take care of some business and anoint these guys and do what you're supposed to do. And Elijah hopped back on the horse and went after, start doing what God had to do. But the, the, point of the, the point I wanted to show you is anybody can fall into this at any time. It's the fact of we need to course correct as quickly as possible and get back to what we're supposed to be doing. Because Elijah could have stayed in that cave. He could have kept saying, that's it, I'm, I'm all alone, God. There's nobody but me, and they're coming for me. They're coming to get me, God. There's a lion in the streets, is what Proverbs said. There's a lion in the streets. I can't go outside. We have a God on our side. <laughs> that's what God, God Elijah what are you doing here? I'm, I'm still God. I'm still the one who just, I, I just licked up all the water in the sacrifice until there was nothing left. That's me. I did that. And there's one lady after you. What are you doing here, Elijah? What's, what's going on, buddy? Well, what happened? He went to plan B. He went to plan B. He said, this lady's after me. I'm getting out of town. He never even stopped to say, God, what should I do? What should I do about this lady? What, what, what should I do? Because if he had stopped to ask, God would have said, this is what you need to do. Probably would have been exactly what he told them to do after this cave. Ignore her and go do what I tell you to do. Because notice, we don't ever hear about Jezebel again anywhere around here. She's just gone. She's no longer in the story. He just goes about and does his business and anoints who he needs to anoint and continues doing prophet stuff. Stuff God wants him to do. Notice there were never any stories about assassins coming after Elijah. No, no. Because if there were, it wasn't significant enough to be notated in the Bible because God probably took care of it. Because God always takes care of it if we follow his plan. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your anointing on it. We'll, we'll consider it, Father. We'll, we'll meditate on it and get it down on the inside of us so that more revelation can come we can see it and make the changes we need to make to view your plan as the only plan father the only one on the docket that's all we have to do is just your plan and we ask your help holy spirit help us see when we start to drift away and start to make backup plans plan b's we need to know so that we can correct it and move away from those things father and we we come before you with our giving right now that you have given us a primary plan in giving and receiving, Father, and we will follow it. We'll follow your direction and give of a glad heart like you've told us to so that we can unlock the doors and move forward into, the, into what you have for us, which includes being blessed to be a blessing, Father. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. If you need to, uh, an envelope, they're on the seat backs in front of you. Thank you for joining us, live streamers. Um, or didn't acknowledge you earlier, I apologize, but uh, welcome. And if you'd like to give, you can go to newlifefamilyworship.net and use the giving link. And uh, if you ever want to reach out to us, please do. We love to hear from you guys, email or social media, wherever you prefer. We love, uh, we love to hear from you in any prayer requests or prayer reports. We're always happy to, to field those as well. So have a great day. We'll see you in a bit.